Boy, Thanksgiving is here. Are you guys excited about Thanksgiving or just sort of okay? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody should be Thanksgiving. Mean, good food, right? Family time together. I know it's going to be challenging for many of us. And I'll mention this a little bit later, but I know with maybe the way the year has gone and some of you maybe recently lost a loved one, this is sort of a challenging time too. But I, I hope and pray that as the holidays come, you will find joy in this time. Um, we are in a new series entitled It's a Wonderful Life. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we kicked it off. And then um, I had surgery and we had a couple other people uh, fill in the pulpit. Brian did a great job as always last week. The hand is fine. Rehab is going good. Stitches are out. So we just keep plugging away. Someday I'll shake your hand. Until now, it's still a fist pump is where it's at. Uh, but God is good as we are entering into this, this new sermon series. Um, we, we need this, okay? And, and uh, the more and more as I've studied and prepared, I, I get more and more excited about it. Because we, we acknowledge that we are living in a messy world, right? And it's challenging at times and, and hurtful at times. But here's the thing. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have received the free gift of salvation from God. We are recipients of his grace and mercy. We are forgiven of our sins, and we now have the Holy Spirit of God working in us. God is reproducing himself in us. It's, to me, that's just amazing. And it's a spiritual process called sanctification. And during you know, in the world that we live in right now, I believe we really need to hear these messages because we have forgotten how we're supposed to be living for Jesus. And I believe this will help us. We use Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, sort of as our landing ground for a verse that helps us understand our relationship to God and how we should be living now. It says, For by that one offering, which is Jesus Christ, he forever made perfect. That's the word, you've heard the phrase, we're justified by faith. We, justification is that position of being right before God. So we have been made perfect, that's justification, and those who are being made holy, that's sanctification, that's that growing process. So we are pursuing God now in this wonderful life, even though some of you may not think it's all that wonderful at times, we are pursuing God and he is producing something new in us through his spirit. So we, we still have to make the effort. Even though we have been made right with God because of what Christ has done, and the Holy Spirit is working through us, sanctifying us, changing us, we still have to make the effort. We still have to engage in the process. We have to abide in Christ. We're connected to, to Jesus, who is the true vine. So like a vine that produces fruit, he's producing his fruit in us. And we use Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, as that help and direction and what is it that's being produced in us? What is it that is already in us and still growing in us? The fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things are growing in us. We began with the first fruit, which was love. And I think we were all in agreement that what this world needs right now is a lot more love. All right? Well, here's the thing. The love of God... His love is in you as a believer. You are carrying that love with you already. Uh, Brian did a good job on hitting on peace. And as he talked about that peace, uh, we move into, and I, I said, you can preach on whatever God's leading you. And, and he said, how about peace? That's excellent. But well, we're going to come back to joy now. 
right? So if you want, I was going to say open up your Bibles, but I'm going to be in a lot of Scripture today. So I say have your Bibles ready to roll. Now there is one passage at the very end of the sermon. It's in Nehemiah 8. It's not going to be on the screen. You will need to follow that in the Bible. Uh, I want to read a portion to you. Um, her name is Jennifer Magiel, and she wrote something that sort of describes, if we're trying to think, how do you, how do you put into words what's going on in our culture today when it comes to happiness and being content or having joy in your life? And I thought she did a really good job in summing this up. Let me read this to you. She said this, what we have is never enough. We always want more. If we're hungry and we go to the food bank and they're passing out a loaf of bread, we want two loaves of bread instead of one. If the church is giving away free coffee at church, well, we're irritated because it wasn't Starbucks. And if we're single, well, we want to be married. If we're married, we want a better spouse. We want to be thinner and prettier and richer. We want a good job than a better one. And if that job is no longer the best job, we search for the next best job. And we're raising children who are basically just as bad. They often aren't as grateful for that new toy. They want the best toy. They're not sensitive to financial boundaries because culture, that's us, permeates the the greed of more, more, more. And the result of that facade is we'll never be happy or fulfilled or thankful. When I read that, I thought, yeah, that's sort of how I feel at times. It's like, we have so much stuff. It's never good enough. We just want more. There's always that next thing. And she summed that up. And because of that, sometimes we're lacking the joy in our life, the happiness in our life. Now, I'm using those words interchangeably. And actually, in the scripture, you're going to see joy and happiness used interchangeably. But the one I really want to hit on is the word joy. Let me give you a sort of a a breakdown between the difference you're going to see scripture-wise when it comes to happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent upon your outward circumstances. What you may or may not have, it's temporary, does not last long. It's what happens to you. Joy, on the other hand, is not dependent upon the circumstances or belongings. It's lasting. It's an inward change. Happiness is, is brought on by what we have. Whereas joy can be found in the person who has nothing. In the movie Cool Runnings, you may or may not know that movie. It's an old movie of John Candy and uh, working with some Jamaican Jamaican bobsled team for the Olympics. He shares with them, I've already got a gold medal. But then he shares with them that he actually had cheated to try to win a second gold medal. Which blew their mind because they're like, why would you... Try to cheat and get a gold medal when you are already a gold medal winner. He said this to him. He goes, if you're not happy without a gold medal, you won't be happy with one either, which is true. Because a lot of us think if I have this, I'll be happy. But really, if you're not happy now without it, you'll never be happy with it because you're always going to want more. Statistics show us that we struggle to find happiness here in the United States. Up on the screen, you can see depression affects more than 19% of American adults. Anxiety disorders affect more than 18%, which really is roughly around 40 million people. In 2016, federal data showed that suicide rates surged to their highest numbers in 30 years. 
And in 2019, the CDC reported it was suicide was the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. I'm sure there's, for every person that's in here, you probably know somebody who has taken their life, who is struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety. A worldwide study of 90,000 people showed that the 10 richest countries in the world also had the highest rates of depression. U.S., second, right behind, not too far behind, but right behind France. Happiness, church, is not dependent upon your wealth and your circumstances. Those who have the most reason to be joyful, which should be us, being one of the richest nations in the world, we are the most depressed. So how do we find joy? How do we find that, that feeling, that, and not more than feeling, but that permanency of, of an inward emotion that is there forever, an eternal joy? Well, it begins with this, and this is my opinion, but I'll show you in the Bible. I believe joy first comes through salvation. Through salvation, joy is when Jesus arrives in your life. Until then, it's hard to find joy in your life. In your Bible, in the book of Luke chapter 2, now I know even though we're going through this series, It's a Wonderful Life, I will still be hitting on scripture that covers the Christmas story. Trust me, it's my favorite time of the year. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 11, if you were to start reading that story, you see it says there were shepherds that were staying in the fields at night. They were guarding their, their flocks of sheep. And it says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Now up on the screen, verse 10, it picks up, says this. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring what? Great joy to all people. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The angels announced, you know what? I'm bringing some good news, and it's going to bring great joy. See, when Jesus arrives, you're going to have something you didn't maybe have before. That's why I believe when Jesus arrives in your heart, when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and you confess those sins, and Christ comes in your life, that's when joy begins. That's when you are infused with the joy of the Lord. Just as those angels, angels announced the arrival of Jesus, would bring great joy. There's great joy when Jesus arrives in us. When someone surrenders their life to Jesus, there is reason to celebrate because there is joy. In your Bibles, if you want, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. There's three stories in Luke 15 where somebody lost something and they went looking for it and then they found it and the result was always joy each time. The first one is about a shepherd he has a hundred sheep, but he loses one. Well, hey, I still got 99. Most people would be okay. I, I got 99, lost one, no big deal. Not this shepherd. This shepherd is like, I'm going to go search for that one. And this is what scripture says. And when he found that one lost sheep, he will what? Joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my sheep. Do you see how the shepherd works here? The shepherd's like, I lost them. But when I find it, when I find that which is lost, there's joy. And then he calls in all of his neighbors and friends and says, hey, rejoice with me. 
Because I've got some good news. What was lost has now been found. We read the next story. There's a woman with ten coins. She loses just one of those ten coins. And she starts searching everywhere through the house to find just this one coin. Right? Look what Scripture says in verse 9 and 10. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, What? Rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. Now, I love what Jesus says. He goes, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Church, for every person that's in here, for each and every one of you that's ever asked Christ to come into your life, when you repented of your sins, heaven threw a party. And there is joy amongst the angels and amongst God and Jesus and the Spirit. I mean, there was a party. There was rejoicing going on. And Jesus says, just like that shepherd found that one sheep, he rejoiced and he called everybody in. Just like that one woman who lost a coin, found the coin, and rejoiced, called everybody in. Let's rejoice. It was just a sheep. It was just a coin. You probably can't even tell me what years dated on that coin, right? If they would have dated it back then, right? And just like for some of us, we think I'm insignificant, I don't matter. When you surrender, there is joy in heaven. Oh, but it didn't stop there. There was a third story. The third story is the father's prodigal son lost his way, became wayward. And he comes home and the older brother's mad, right? It's like, you're throwing a party. He came home, he was lost. But the father says this to his son. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead, has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. In each story, there was rejoicing when the lost was found. Another story, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are thrown in prison for preaching the, the word of Jesus Christ, right? So they're in prison, and it's dark, in the middle of the night, and God shakes the prison. Doors fly open, and the, and the jailer's like, oh no. I'm going to be put to death because if anybody gets free, if anybody breaks out, it's on me. I will immediately be put to death. So he's about ready. Like, I might as well just go ahead and end my life. He's about ready to kill himself because he thinks he's going to be killed anyway. And Paul and Silas crowd say, no, 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 no. We're all still here. Not one prisoner left. Everybody stayed in their cells. And then they went and talked to this man and shared Jesus with this man. And then he went to his home. And it says in verse 34 of chapter 16, he says, He brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Every story, every time you find somebody giving their life to Jesus, there was rejoicing, rejoicing amongst the people, rejoicing in heaven. And when we're at camp and 25, 30 kids give their life to Christ, there is rejoicing, right? If there's just one kid that gives his life to Christ, there'd be rejoicing. There is joy when we confess our sins and ask Jesus to be the Savior of our Lord. Here's another time there's rejoicing. There should be joy in our life when you get baptized. Next week, we're going to have the baptismal tank set up over here. And if you've not yet been baptized, you've given your life to Christ, but you've never been baptized, you need to get baptized. It's what Jesus did. And when you get baptized, you're doing what Jesus did. He was buried and he rose again from the dead and he came out new, right? And in the same way, you are dipped under and you are raised back up and you are basically proclaiming to everybody, I am saved. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is an outward showing of an inward decision. And next week we have a young lady who's getting baptized. But if there's more out there, 
please join us. I've never seen anybody come out of the baptism waters angry. Have you? They're like, oh, I'm wet. No, they come out, they're happy. They're joyful. Why? Because they're celebrating a spiritual experience that's taking place in their life. Baptism is an incredible thing. We have joy in us. I don't, I don't know if you ever sang this song when you were a kid. We used to sing it. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? See, you did sing it. Okay, good. Awesome. And you just keep going. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy. Yes, yeah, so anyway, so we would sing that song all the time. And I, I don't know why. That song popped into my head when I was writing a sermon thinking, you know, I'm going to Google the words because I want to make sure, because I know there's more verses like I've got the love of Jesus. I've got the peace that passes all understanding. But there was a verse I could not find. We sang it every time. But nowhere could I find it when I was Googling. I don't know if you heard this part. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. No, you must have not have heard that because you would say, ouch, and jump out of your seats. That's what we did. We were like, and if the devil doesn't like it, you can sit on attack. Ouch, sit on attack. Ouch. I don't know why we did that. Okay, I don't know why I'm doing that. But anyway, I think it was, it must have been only in the Baptist church. I mean, we, we must have been like, I don't know, that's Christian trash talk. I don't know what that was, but it's like, yeah, the devil don't like it, you go sit on attack. You know, we have changed, haven't we? Um, but I like that. I actually like that one verse because here's the thing. The devil does want to steal your joy, doesn't he? He doesn't want you to be joyful. He doesn't want you to experience the fruit of the Spirit. He wants to steal your joy. It's like, and not to use this TV show as a biblical reference, but the Grinch who stole Christmas comes into Whoville and takes not just their food and their presents, but their decorations and everything, Right? And he's like, I stole everything from them. They're going to be miserable. But they still gathered and sang together. You could not take away what was in here. That's the same thing. The devil wants to steal all of your joy away. If he can make circumstances around you miserable, whether it's injury or death or whatever it may be, a loss of job, a broken relationship, try to steal your joy, he can't. You can just go to the devil and say, hey, go not you just go sit on the tack, okay? I don't know if that's again biblical, but... He wants to steal your joy, and he can't. Do you want to know why? Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit, part of the Holy Spirit, which is infused in you as believers. He can't take that because it's already been given to you. It's a promise that has been given to you. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 6, he said this, What blessings await you when people hate you, exclude you, mock you, and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. See, when you decide to follow Jesus, you will be mocked, you'll be made fun of, you'll be excluded. Just the way it's going to be. And Jesus says, what blessings await you when that happens? Verse 23 goes on and says, when that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. Jesus like, are you being excluded? You're being mocked because you're a Christian? Yes. Rejoice, because you're just like the prophets of old. You know, a lot of young people today, you, you look at your singers, your actors, you, you're like, oh, I want to be just like that person. I want to dress like that person. I want to sing like that person. I want to act like that person. And you, you're just like, I want to I mimic them, right? I want to look how they're doing it, right? And Jesus says, blessed are you who are getting excluded and mocked and beaten up because you look just like the prophets. 
You want to model yourself after somebody? Model yourself after Jesus and those before us of Christian faith, not those of this world. That's when we're blessed. See, here's the thing. We can do all we want to avoid trials and pains and suffering. Go for it. You can try to avoid all those things, but you won't. We still have joy in us, which means no matter what comes our way, sorrow, pain, probably going to have to welcome it because it's coming your way and you can't avoid it. But you got joy in you to combat it. And here's the thing. Don't fake it when tragedy arises, please. When suffering strikes and you act like nothing happens, like, well, I'm, I'm going to go to the funeral, but I'm not going to cry. It's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. It's okay because, you know, oh, I'm going to try to be tough and fake it out. Stop trying to be tough. Don't, don't, try, don't try to fake it. You know, we don't know how challenges come our way. We don't know how long challenges will last with us. We don't know the depth of the pain that's always going to come our way. We don't. But we have the promise that the joy of the Lord will not leave us at any point in time during those moments. That's a promise. And if Jesus promises his eternal spirit to reside in us, and as he promises he will never leave us, then that joy is there, even in the midst of sorrow. You know, at the beginning of this service, we took communion, and we tried to remember that communion, Jesus Right after that was betrayed. He was arrested. He was, he was crucified. But all before that, he was reclining at the table with his enemy, the betrayer, right? In a few short hours, rejection and torture. And his disciples were like, I remember that. They remember the pain, but they remember what came after the pain, the resurrection. Kay Warren shares this. During our time, this side of heaven, our joy will always be accompanied by some kind of sorrow. Like train tracks that run side by side. Joy and sorrow are so often equally present in our lives. But one day, if you look in the distance, you'll notice how the two tracks become one. And all we will know is joy. No more sorrow. If you've ever stood on the railroad tracks before, there's two tracks, and as you look, it looks like eventually they come together, right? That's what we're talking about. Someday, there will be no more sorrow. There'll be just joy. But till today, they run side by side, and we're all uh, apt to face that situation, especially this time of the year. Many of us who have recently lost a loved one, the holidays are going to be a little more challenging for you. You will feel some, some extreme joy and extreme sorrow at the same time. And if you're not careful, though, you might get so caught up in your momentary pain that you will miss the sacred, beautiful change that God's trying to do inside you. Don't miss what he wants to do in you during these times. When Jesus and his disciples experienced communion, Jesus said, remember this. Remember this moment. Remember my love. Remember my sacrifice. Remember my presence will be with you even when it gets rough. You know, Brian mentioned a few, uh, or it was last week, he said a lot of preachers have sermon points. 
right? You know, it's like, and there's usually three points and they all begin with the same letter. Uh, every pastor does different things, fill in the blank, whatever it may be. I don't know if I've got a style. Some of you might say, yeah, this is what you always do. I don't know, but I'm, I've got a bunch of points coming, okay? I'll just tell you that. Four, maybe five. And they're going to come quick. So I'll put them up on the screen for you to help you out. And, and my whole point is this. I want you to understand where joy comes from, how it starts. Now here's what maybe we can put into practice, okay? First thing is, is this something that you just need to remember. You just need to remember this, okay? And that is this. God wants you to be joyful. God wants you to be joyful. Because some of you probably think, God hates me. Why would God allow this? Understand, God wants us to be joyful. I don't know if you ever uh, noticed that when Jesus healed or helped people, how they always responded with joy. Did you ever notice that? Like he would touch a leper, a sick person, a lame person. And what did they, they leap for joy. They would jump. They'd get excited. There was none of this, oh, I'm better now. Thanks, Jesus. No, there was always a great response, right? When Jesus touches you, there is a change. If it's on the moment, or it maybe takes maybe a process of time. We see that in scripture. This morning, uh, Joan was here in first service, and it's so good to see her. For so long, we prayed for her to get out of the hospital and to get better. She's still recovering, but, you know, she's been here worshiping the last two Sundays. And that's it's a healing process going on in her life right now. And for that, she is experiencing joy right now is what she is experiencing. Remember that as Christians, we're pursuing a righteous life. And part of that righteous life is a joyful life. Jesus told us in John 15, 11, he says, I've spoken these things to you. He's talking to his disciples. This was actually in the upper room, okay? After you washed your feet, they had taken the bread together. And then he's talking to him. He goes, I've told you all this. Why? So that my joy will remain in you. In other words, it doesn't depart. And that your joy may be full, not halfway. God wants you, if you're like sitting at a restaurant later today or sometime this week, the waitress comes and she pours the water and it gets right to the rim and it's like it's about ready to spill over and you're afraid to even move your glass because it's probably going to spill. You ever had one of those moments? That's full. Full is not this much left space in your cup. That's not full. Full is to the top. Okay, that's full. And Jesus, I am telling you so your joy will remain in you and that it may be full. God wants us to be full of his joy, full of his spirit. We're even commanded to rejoice in the Lord. And it's like, that's a command? I'm supposed to be joyful? How can I be joyful when this bad thing just happened in my life? Rob Morgan said this, we may not be able to rejoice in the load, L-O-A-D, but we can rejoice in the Lord, L-O-R-D. We may find no joy in our situation, but we can find joy in our Savior. When I read that, I was like, yes, that's it exactly. The things that happen in my life, I'm not excited about, happy about, but I am thankful and joyful for the Lord being there with me in the midst of it. I'm not alone. He wants me to experience joy. He wants you to experience joy. Here's the second thing. Joy is this. It, it takes place when you surrender to Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. You want joy in your life. First of all, God wants you to have joy. Second of all, you're not going to have joy until you surrender to Jesus. Okay? If you're fighting Jesus right now, you don't want salvation in your life right now, then you're not going to have joy. Okay? But if you want joy, you need to surrender to him. First Peter 1.8 says this. You love him even though you've never seen him. Anybody here ever seen Jesus face to face, touch him, smell him, like high-fived him? No. 
Peter says this, you love him even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Peter's saying, yeah, I know you've never seen him, you never touched him, but you believe in him. That's where you find joy. In an inexpressible joy. Our joy is in Jesus who never changes. And when we surrender to him, he is the king of our heart and he doesn't leave. And he flies his flag right there in our heart saying, the king lives here. There is joy. John 16, 22 says this. So you have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. Then you'll rejoice and no one can rob you of joy. Love that. Joy isn't an emotion that comes and goes. It's an attitude that comes and grows. That's Dr. David Jeremiah. I was thinking of it like this. Joy is, is like the fuel that goes in our fuel tanks. Okay? If, I, if I'm a car, I, 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 yeah, go ahead. Wash, wax, accessorize me. That's great. Okay? Matter of fact, if I was a car and you wanted to take me to a car show, and show me off in front of people so people could walk by and gawk at me. Ooh, look at that car. Look how shiny it is. Look at, oh, look at the engine in that car. Wow, look at all the, the, you know, the interior. You know, and everybody's like, whoa, whoa. Isn't that the way we are as human beings? We want to be taken care of. We want to be cleaned up. We want people to look at us and be impressed, right? So I'm, you hanging with me on this car illustration so far? So here's the thing, though. But as a car, I was not created to sit in a showroom. I was created to go from point A to point B. I was created to move, to move down the road in life. That's what a car is created for, right? Some of you might argue with me because some of you like classic cars. I get that, okay? But here's the thing. As a car, I was created to go down the road. And here's the thing. I can't go down the road unless i got fuel in me. The joy of the Lord is my fuel. It's my strength. As the Spirit works in me, He enters my life, gives me what I need, and He changes me from the inside out to help me to move forward in my life. But here's the thing. If you're not allowing God's spirit to work in you, don't expect change. If you won't surrender him, surrender to him, don't expect change. Third thing is this. Study the word of God. You want to join your life? Study the word of God. Every time you open up the Bible, you will find moments to find things to express joy in your life. Over 400 times you'll find the word joy, joyful, rejoice. It's, it's all over. The book of Philippians. Paul's in prison. He's writing about He's in prison. Joy is what he's writing about as the subject. Incredible, right? Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, if you open your Bibles in Nehemiah, that's where we're at. It's the last scripture. I'm going to have you look up. Nehemiah chapter 8 says this. All the people, let me hear you say all. All the people combined in a uniform purpose at a square just inside the water gate. They're all in there together. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given Israel to obey. So think about this. They're bringing out the books of Moses, okay, the law. This is going to be a long reading. Verse 2 says, so on October 8th, it's like the author here, Nehemiah, is like, it was October 8th. I'll never forget this day. He's like journaling in, right? The, Ezra, the high priest, he brought the book of law before the assembly, which included the men and women, all the children old enough to understand. So the whole town, the whole community, a nation is gathered together. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Can you imagine that? You've, you've seen, I think Pastor Steve, when he was here, had you stand when he read scripture. Because that's scriptural. You look back in ancient times, when God's word was read, people stood, they read the word together. 
They stood early in the morning and they remained standing for hours. That's plural. Past noon, as he read through the book of the law of Moses. Can you imagine that? If we started our service this morning at 8 a.m. and at noon, I'm still up here reading. And someone's like, this is, they did this. Nobody's whining. They were, they, they were like taken back by what they were hearing. It says, Ezra the scribe stood on a high platform full of all, in view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, amen, amen. And they lifted up their hands. Then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read, verse 8, from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They're all, they're all crying because he's reading the law and they're like, I can't believe I've missed what God wants me to do. I have fallen so far away from God. See, God's word will do that. It will convict you of what maybe you need to do in your life. And all of a sudden you realize, this is horrible. I'm, I've fallen so far from God. And what does Ezra and Nehemiah and all the Levites do? They're like, stop crying. Instead, check this out, verse 10. Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Sounds like Thanksgiving, right? And share gifts of food with people who have been have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I've heard that phrase before, right? You've seen it on posters and, and Pinterest, probably. I don't know. It's all over the place. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This is from Nehemiah. See, this is what happens. When you stop and get into God's word, there's joy that is perpetuated throughout your body because God's breathing into you. It changes you. Those who study and read God's word are much more different than those who do not. Trust me. Last thing, fourth, or actually, I got two more. I told you I didn't have my points. I got five. Okay, here's number four. Spend time in prayer. Brian already touched on that last week. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but what? Pray about everything. If you are struggling right now with finding joy in your life, have you prayed for joy to be in your life? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have, are you in his word? Are you praying, Lord, fill me with your joy? I know I'm going through a lot right now, but I need the joy of the Lord to be my strength. Fifth and final thing is this. Share your life with others. This is how you find joy. The, the church is a, should be a joyful place when you show up. Sometimes first service is going on, people are in the lobby. You can hear sort of a buzz going on out there. I've never heard an argument, only happy voices, right? Why is that? There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's excitement. When people, I see people serving together, there's joy. That's what happens best when the church comes together. Acts chapter 2 Verse 46, 47. This is when the church first, first launched. Look what 46 says. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes and Lord's Supper, shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There's more than just showing up at church and sitting here. It's saying hi to people, greeting people, 
is getting himself, immersing yourself in, in Bible studies, East, West, uh, ladies' Bible study. There's a, there's a co-ed, out of men's and women's Bible study on Monday nights. Uh, there's, there's opportunity to, to serve. Every time you have those opportunities, take advantage of it. Because that's where you find joy as well. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and we're going to close out the service with a, with a moment of experiencing joy. I, um, last week I was preparing and like, I'm going to be preaching on joy. And you know, there's a song that just kept going through my mind. We're actually going to sing it. And I, and I kept going through my mind. It's like, and it's not, um, I got the joy, joy, joy. We're not that doing that one. Okay. It's a different song you've probably heard on the radio. We've sung it here before, but as it kept going through my mind, it's like, Hey Dave, or what songs do you have ready for next week? And he said, this was the one song. I was like, he said, oh, yes, good. Because I was hoping we were going to sing it. I usually don't request songs. I've requested one, I think. And that was many months ago. But a lot of times God just orchestrates things. And sure enough, he was in it. And it's like, because this song that we sing really should be our testimony as believers in Jesus Christ. If you've surrendered your life, to God, listen carefully. You have His Spirit in you. His Spirit is joy. You have it in you. God wants you to be joyful. He wants you to experience joy. He wants you to live it out. It's there in you. Do not be afraid to express it. Just as much as this world is hungry for love, it's hungry for people who have some joy in their life. As Christians, a lot of times we walk around and I think it looks like a lot of Christians were just eating sour lemons before they walked into church or something. I don't know, like, why are you looking so miserable? I don't know. It's like, you've got the joy of the Lord in you. Again, you might be going through some tough circumstances in your life. And for that, I'm sorry. But in the midst of those circumstances, there is still joy. And that can be the strength that you need through those tough circumstances. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I'm so thankful that Thanksgiving is this week because as we come together this week and maybe it's going to be a large family gathering, maybe we might be by ourselves, but as we come into Thanksgiving, I think, Lord, there's a lot to be thankful for. And I don't know if I've ever seen, Lord, anybody angry when they say thank you. Often, Lord, when we say thank you, there's a smile on our face because we know we've been blessed. God, we have been blessed with the gift of eternal life from you. And with that gift of eternal life, that salvation comes your spirit. And your spirit fills us with love and peace and joy. And we are able, Lord, to live that out. God, help us to express the joy that you've given us. Help us, Lord, to be Christians who understand that even though we go through tough times and trials, we can still experience joy and we can still express joy. Because we are not alone because you have not abandoned us. We thank you for that. So God, as we sing to you now, Lord, Lord, just have your way with us. Let us celebrate as we sing this song. Let us be thankful for the gift that you've given us. We love you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.